21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hi, everybody. This is Andy Vasley. Thanks for tuning in to my Run Your Life podcast series. Today, I'm very lucky to have three guests on the show. Um, we're in Manila here. I'm going to let them describe who they are. And uh, I'm going to start with the man on the left. Thank you, Andy. Hi, folks. Uh, my name is Ted Tamertziglou, a high school health and teacher currently working at Thompson Educational Publishing in teacher and student success. So we are here at the IRCOS conference of um, international schools in the, uh, in the Asia region. We're in a gorgeous, gorgeous building that's the size of most intercities or big cities airports. That's how many schools, um, uh, how big this place is. And about 2,300 students, I believe, go to the International School of Manila. So we're just honored and, and blessed to be here. And it's probably the size of the University of Windsor, actually. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> most universities in Canada, Andy, yeah. for sure. Okay. And my name is Carolyn Timurtzalu, and I'm also a former health and physical education teacher. But I have the pleasure now of teaching our next generation of teachers um, at the University of Toronto in Ontario at OISE. And uh, one of the enjoys, uh, things that I really enjoy uh, teaching these beginning teachers is the fact that we're now preparing our teachers to teach globally. Uh, not so much with respect to just teaching within their own backyards or in their own cities or where they're in Ontario, but it's really about thinking about teaching health and physical education globally and what are some of the universal issues um, and challenges that we face in health and physical education. Excellent. And the last guest? Yeah, um, I'm Ash Casey. Uh, I work at uh, Loughborough University, uh, and I'm, again, a former phys ed teacher uh, who's been in the classroom for 15 years and out of it for six um, I also have the pleasure of working with some fantastic uh, postgraduate students in their teacher education, and I lead the postgraduate certificate of education in physical education at, at the university. Um, I think being in an international school and, and, and seeing the number of expats, not just the UK, but you know Canadian, Australian, you know European, etc., etc., is to to understand the, the breadth and depth of, the, of this community. Um, I mean, I've been very fortunate to see teaching around the world, you know, in um, you know Turkey and, and Japan and um, Ireland and Spain and, and, and Sweden. And, and a lot of the problems we experience are very similar, but they're all culturally relevant. And we have to understand that while we talk in general, generality, generality, you know, um, there are specific problems. So it's very we have to be very cognizant of the fact that we can talk about issues generally but they are context specific we need to kind of understand that and being in this sort of environment and seeing what is a very well positioned school and what you can achieve in this sort of facility and then understand that other people don't have this privileged position this airport sized school with with four gymnasiums and, and lots of outdoor space and you know and be able to to understand how phys ed can fit into multiple situations with, and be relevant to different people in different contexts or with even within the same context. Yeah. Um, I think coming off, I just did a workshop on the connecting to excellence and I had Ted and Ash come in 
uh, to kind of share some of the work that they're doing. And um, I think uh, for me, it was important to discuss the idea that everything that is presented on Twitter uh, in physical education and education in general should be questioned. That everybody, uh, anybody who has a device can post whatever they want. So I think seeing as we all are connected on social media and many people listening to this podcast are connected on social media, what do you feel as a group or individually are myths about being a socially edu- uh, socially connected educator? Um, I think probably one of the, the biggest concerns that I've seen is, I, again, is uh, vetting who exactly you're getting your information from. And, uh, I, you know, that's that's true regardless of whether it's on Twitter or whether it's uh, word of mouth through, through a, a fellow colleague. Um, but I guess I think what we all have to keep in mind as far as health and physical educators go is, you know, the world becomes what we teach and we, we generally teach what we know. And like Ash, you know, Carol and I get to travel the world and see some pretty miraculous things happening. And even I at this level, you know, don't know everything and nor will I ever know everything. So I think it's really important to constantly hone our craft, surround ourselves with people who, um, who research, who have dedicated their lives to a particular area within health and physical education and then bring that knowledge to the end user, which is usually, you know, us as, as teachers. And I find sometimes Twitter's like, or any social media, it's kind of like a fire, ho- fire hose of information. And I'm looking for those one or two parts of, you know, credible pieces that could really prove uh, to improve my practice. And so I think that's why there's, there, there's some out there that I think uh, are worth following. I also make it the connection to, I think, being a reflective practitioner. And often there are a lot of things that are maybe on Twitter or social media that can make us pause and think, uh, what does that mean for my practice? Um, Often we sort of get into position of just sort of status quo, uh, being happy doing things because that's the same way we've been always doing things. And as we know, our society is changing Physical education, its role in our schools and community is changing. Uh, The concepts out there, such as physical literacy, it really is making us, we're creating the opportunity uh, for us to stand back and think about um, our role and purpose in schools and communities. Um, So I I think social media, it's, it's a wonderful tool. And I think the perspective I would like teachers and educators to have it um, in the, how its role in their their lives is to really uh, challenge their thinking. I think sometimes, and to really look at some of the evidence based research out there and how is that informing our practice and what I'm being able to access on social media um, is wh- where's that credible resource coming from, um, and maybe that makes us allows us to sort of dig deeper um, into some of these concepts or ideals. Um, and once again, try to reflect and think back to how does that form my practice and what implications does it have for my practice and for others? So. A healthy skepticism for what you see and to question yes, everything. That's right. Yeah. Do you want yeah. to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I know, I mean, I'll, I tend to be on Twitter and I'm very interested when I get promoted tweets, what they think I need. Um, but actually, you can use that as an analogy because currently I, I need a new car, a new mattress, um, lots of things. 
And we upgrade these things all the time. I mean, the car I've had, I've had for five years, I'm thinking of upgrading it. The phone I've had, I've had for a year, I'm thinking of upgrading it. The pedagogy I've had for five or six years, I'm always looking to upgrade it. And I think that, to me, is one of the messages. We can learn from, you know, eight years, you must change your mattress every year, every eight years. Well, I haven't, but um, I sleep fine. And I think we can get comfortable in situations when we actually have to think about, you know, it's a, there's a real message in that in terms of, you know, thinking about how we, we, we work. And what any social media, any learning should do is is challenge you to keep becoming a better teacher. And, and we have to fit into the environment that we're in. And, um, and that environment is constantly changing. The world's population is growing. There's my increased migration. There were, you know, the announcement yesterday about um, there are now more obese people than there are thin people in the world. Uh, 10% of all men are obese and 14% of women. You know, it's a phenomenal statistic. And that's risen... In, in, since '95, and men from four percent to ten percent—that's more than you know, more than doubled. This is a changing world, and yet we need to challenge ourselves to change our pedagogies. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to our kids. You know, we can't keep going along with what we've always done. You know, we can't teach the way that we were taught. Um, no matter how good it was, there must be—you know—there is a changing world out there, and we have to understand it. Um, and I think everything you, you pick up from, from social media, from, from conversations, from your own reading, from books, needs to be filtered through where you are. You're the expert at what we could describe as the point of implementation. So you know your school, you know your kids. You also know yourself. And, and, and I think one of the things for me about social media is that we, we, we don't necessarily see the, the proper person. One of the books I'm reading at the moment is a, a, a book called, called by a guy called Goffman called The Presentation of Self. And he talks about how we, we present images of ourselves through how we dress and how we act. And, and social media is the same. We present an image of ourselves. And unfortunately, we want to be seen as being successful. Nobody necessarily is willing to go out and say that they're unsuccessful. But therefore, we're all doing excellent things. And maybe we are all doing excellent things, but there are, there are things that we're doing that aren't excellent. And sometimes it's being brave enough to expose the things that we're not doing that is excellent and finding ways of improving those. So when I was doing my PhD, I was doing a lot of the new teaching gauge understanding intervention stuff with my best classes. And I had a critical friend who was an English teacher, and he said, why? Why are you saving your best stuff for your best kids? Um, you know, find the areas that you're not doing well. Find the classes you're not engaging with and find the reasons why. And that was really hard. That was much harder to, to take this stuff and work with my, my challenging classes and my challenging groups than it was to work with my good groups. It's much harder to work with my, you know, grade 10 students than it was to work with my grade 6 students. But the reward of what I learned about my teaching was as good as when I'd done it with good classes. And, and they began to engage. And where they were was a consequence of what I'd made them be or helped them to be, and therefore I needed to be prepared to challenge that. So I suppose somewhere in there is a message about changing your mattress. Yeah. Or your car or iPhone. Um, I'm trying to get the iPhone 6, but my wife just disagrees with me right now and says I don't need it, which she's probably right. Um, one of the things that I get very concerned about, I think it's great on social media seeing uh, physical educators share activities that they're doing and I will go through the 
the tweets and I'll see it, things that people are, are doing. And there might be a few videos of here. Look at this tag game. I played this tag game today or I did this activity. And you'll see 175 retweets, 229 retweets. And again, I think it's great that people are sharing their practice. But what I'm seeing sometimes is very much an activity-focused mentality where people want more and more activities. Um, what are your thoughts on, although activities are at the root of everything we do, physical activity, games are at the root of everything we do, what is your perspective on, on physical activity in general and, and what, what do we need to consider more? That's a great question, Andy. Um, to me, I really am always trying to push the why. Why is this important? Why is this relevant? So I agree. Often many teachers, especially beginning teachers, are just trying to, they want to put, get more and more ideas into their toolkit. But it's really trying to step back and make the connection to what is the learning in this activity, whether it's a social connected piece around interpersonal skills whether it's a learning that's focusing on developing some physical literacy and movement competence, uh, maybe it's a learning around game strategy um, or active participation, their own personal fitness. But I think we really have to challenge and again or step back and think, okay, okay, here's a great activity, but how does that connect to what's the learning? We're often advocating for more health and physical education and we need to be able to make the connection to what's the learning, overall learning. If we want to advocate for more PE, we have to very clearly articulate what is the key learning here in health and physical education. There's tons of learning going on when we think about the importance and relevance of physical education and trying to teach and provide our students with the knowledge and the skills and the attitudes and behaviors to be healthy and active lifelong. So these activities are all great. They're getting kids moving. But deep, and you have to really sort of go a little deeper there and try to make that explicit connection for kids. And, and whether that's through some critical questioning and quick, um, quick moments to debrief, uh, but not just go out and throw. It's just, it's a similar to me, that's a similar analogy as just throwing out the ball and playing. Yeah. Uh, we need to really be very clear, once again, about what the learning is and, and how it connects to our overall expectations in our health and physical education program, wherever we are um, in the world, whatever, whichever curriculum we're connected with, um, but really looking at that piece. So it's that backward design, what's the learning, how do we know the students are learning, there's the assessment piece, and then now here are the instructional tools, the games and activities that we can use to support that learning. So, yeah. I guess for me, um, you know, I, I would hope when we do post those games, unfortunately on Twitter, you're, you're, only, you're only limited to X amount of characters or X amount of time. So the context of what the game or the tag game came from, we're not privy to. Right. So um, I'm, I, I would err on the side of, you know, I think they're, they're, they're doing some pretty good things and reasons for them. The ones that scare me um, largely stems from the work um, I've learned with and from uh, Dr. Stu McGill is the movement competence, the quality of the movement pattern. We're still using, I still see a lot of small pylons and we're getting kids doing a lot of lumbar flexion. So we're, movement patterns are learned. And there's some movement patterns that we do over time that eventually put our, our spines, our backs, our joints in poor positions that are eventually going to lead to injury. Uh, and a classic example of that is, is our classic sit-up. So I'm still seeing a lot of sit-ups. I'm still seeing people holding other people's legs while they're doing a sit-up. 
Um, so that, that's a little concerning to me when I see it from that standpoint. But conversely, I do see some pretty cool things on there and people doing the right thing. But again, it comes down to the fact that there's a lot of information out there and that poor teacher who's trying to cull through it, vet it, and try to figure out the best is not an easy task. Yeah, definitely. Ash, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, there was a situation in the UK recently where they, 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 uh, they got rid of uh, quite a lot of funding. We, we, uh, and a, a great situation for a number of years when they'd funded P very heavily, and, and they pulled it out. And we, P, P struggled to, to justify why it needed it. We had lots of anecdotal evidence. We had lots of reasons to say, well, this is what we think happens. But as a, as a subject, we're really bad at collecting evidence that what we do has an impact longitudinally so you know you want people to invest in, in a program or you want to invest in a program and you need and they want to keep it in the school then you need to say right these were the kids i got in this situation and then five years later this is what we've achieved and this is now a constant we're, we're but doing teachers don't know how to do that oftentimes so what's your advice to teachers that don't know how to measure like you said ted the interventions they're using how do they actually know how to do that that was one of my biggest struggles and that's why i reached out to dean dudley and he was kind of guiding me through that process, but it's still, I can feel in my heart that my program and the strategies that I'm using are engaging students. I feel that. I see it. I get student reflections, but obviously that's not enough. So I go and present these ideas as ideas and strategies, you know, and I'm, I'm slowly beginning to align my work with research, but oftentimes teachers don't know how to measure their impact. Well, measure is a very difficult word anyway. I mean, it's some of it is anecdotal, but it's actually collecting that evidence. So if your kids say something and they're being positive about it, then that's a good thing. You know, student voice is a really important voice that we need to listen to. Um, so having those voices and, and sharing those voices with people, if you want to use the term evidence, then that's evidence. You know, talk stories about how they've gone and done something or how PE has impacted on them and changed what they do and, and maybe how it's changed what their family do and how they value, you know, these things is really, really important. Um, so, you know, some people wouldn't agree with me that that's, that's, um, that's evidence, but it is because it's qualitative. Because it's qualitative. Well, it's, it's, it's anecdotal, it's localised, it's, it's not generalizable. but often the person you have to sell, sell PE to is your administrator or your head teacher, and, and they know these kids and they understand what's happening. And for them, it's powerful. And then if there's a body of evidence growing, you know, it's connecting with people in local schools and, and trying things. Just these net, we have networks here. We, you can be, we can begin. I was saying earlier, we're, as a subject area, we're not brilliant at, sh at, we're not brilliant at, at collecting um, uh, testimonials or, or any of those sorts of things. You know, we, we, the one, one question I've been asked most in, in the last three days is, how do I assess this? Well, if you're assessing it and your assessment grades are, are continually going up because you're doing something new, well, if it's evidence enough for the school to prove that you'll prove it, then surely it's evidence. And it's bringing all these things together and it's, it's understanding what evidence you're already collecting and how you can, you can collect, you know, these stories, you know, and we, we are, we story, we story our lives. We tell stories. I remember when so-and-so did, I remember when so-and-so did this. Stories is how we learn uh, books and, and, and plays and all, you know, these are stories, you know, so we're storing these situations and no, it's not statistical data, but you know, I'll get shot for this, but lies, damn lies and statistics. I mean, 
you know. I know Dean Dudley would shoot you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying there is not a place. I think there's a place for, for lots of things, and I think mixed methods, and I think, you know, if you're comfortable with collecting statistics and you're comfortable with doing that level of analysis and you understand it, then great, do it. But if you're not, it shouldn't stop you from doing things. You know, if you really, 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 really want to, reach out to a university, offer them a chance to come in and do something. And I tell you what, there are researchers out there who will bite your hand off. So, if, 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 so it depends on what level of you know, research you want to do um, and over what sort of period. But there are opportunities to do this. And you shouldn't devalue the data that you collect. Yeah, it might not be generalizable, and yet it might be only relevant to your context, but your context is where you work, and your context is where you have an influence. And you know it the best. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, this has been... Well, this has been done in various fields outside of health and physical education from the standpoint of that stuff. No, oh, okay. From the standpoint of sales and marketing. I think one of our one of our problems in health and physical education is we're we're horrible marketers and the stuff that Ash and Carolyn have just pointed out are ways of you marketing your program. But at the end of the day, it's who do you have to convince about the importance of quality physical education in your program? It's definitely, at the end of the day, the person who has the purchasing power and the investment power to keep that subject alive. And in most of our public education systems, that's also the board and that's also the government. So little baby steps such as gathering that student voice, gathering those little bits of information, having students come in at a staff meeting and talking about their journey. I was a, you know, I was a type of student who didn't like physical education. Here's what we're doing in the program now, and this is what it's led. Now I'm telling my parents to do this, or now I've infused my, my uh, community to do this. All of those things are really important. But then if you have an administrator or government that's looking for hardcore data, I would point it to some, you know, pretty reliable tools that we have right now in physical literacy that measure different domains, not just the movement domain. Passport. Passport for life. Yeah. Yeah, Passportforlife.ca on Physical Health Education Canada's website or the play tools on physicalliteracy.ca. Explain what Passport for Life is. So Passport for Life is is a physical literacy assessment tool and is actually highlighted in UNESCO's new quality physical education policy document. Um, which came out last year, February 2015. Um, and Dr. Dean and uh, many, many professors know this one intimately. And basically it measures um, physical literacy in four domains. The movement domain, participation domain, cognitive domain, and social domain. And it's free. Teachers can use yeah. it for free. You can even use it to assess the type of program that you're offering. So somewhere in there is the fact that you need to know who you need to market it to. We need to tell our stories. And we need to show them, whether that's through kids or through hardcore science, longitudinal studies, I think are critical, but they take a long time. But we need to get some of that stuff started. Um, I I just want to share something with you here, okay? So uh, I showed Ash this yesterday, but my wife um, does a lot of mindfulness uh, with with students across all grade levels. And something that she um, put into action was uh, capturing student voice. Uh, what I wish my teacher knew. So I took this idea, and I'm working with a lot of different schools, and I'm always having conversations with students. What you see here on the yellow sticky notes are some things that, that students wish their PE teacher knew. There are a, there are a lot of good things. You know, I, I wish my PE teacher knew how much I look forward to coming to PE, how much I love PE. But the ones you're looking at right now, uh, let's all just take one and, and read it. So I'll start with uh, this one right here. I wish my PE teacher knew that people's thoughts are important. 
Go ahead, Ted. What does that one say? So that one basically says that, oh, sorry, mine, sorry. Okay. I wish my PE teacher knew that I like being growth mindset and not fixed mindset. Yeah. <laughs> and this one reads, I wish my PE teacher knew I love PE. I'm glad to see that they write PE teacher, not gym teacher. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish my PE teacher knew we want student voice and choice and we need it. I wish my PE teacher knew that we are not a working and running robot. We need water and rest. <laughs> We're all just kind of chuckling here. So no, oh, there's one more I wish my PE teacher knew that they should give us some choices. Now, I'm not trying in any way to bash PE teachers, but when we talk about qualitative uh, data, this tells us a lot about our own teaching practice. So what are your thoughts, I guess, if you were to, to just maybe extend upon uh, student voice and choice and, and activities such as this to seek feedback about our own teaching? What's one thing that each of you would tell teachers, whether they be pre-service teachers, new teachers to the profession, or 20-year um, veterans? I think one of the things about student voice is trust. That they have to, the students have to trust you that they won't get into trouble. Um, and they have to trust you that as a consequence of what they say, you will at least consider what they're talking about. And what I did with my PhD was I actually, you know, you go to a restaurant and you have, please make a comment on our, on our, on our, on our service or whatever. I did that in my lessons. I had a box in the corner and had little comment cards. They were about, I don't know, two inches tall by about three inches wide. And it said, how was the lesson and why? And then they could write on the lesson, you know, good or bad. And then they had to tell me why. The why was the most important bit, and I explained that to them. And then I'd collect those all in, and I'd read through them. And then I would try to make changes where I could. And I would then, at the beginning of the next lesson, I would say, well, this is what you said. This is what I've tried to do. And this is why I haven't, I'm not doing this one because. And then we move forward. So then I got them initially to trust. And, and then there was no really recrimination. They didn't write their names on them. I didn't do handwriting checks. I, didn't, I didn't, wasn't interested. They had to say why. If they didn't say why, I ignored it. So that went in the bin. But the why was really important. And then I showed, tried to show them how I made changes. And that led them to then trust me. That, and then I used to, at the end of, as part of my PhD, I used to interview them and asked them questions about the unit and how they felt with strengths and weaknesses. Now that's part of a program, and I was doing a research study, but simple things like that then allowed me to evolve my practice. You know, and when I did that, I realized I was teaching the same unit again and again, as you know, the same Javelin unit, at, at, you know, whatever. So they were doing the same lesson at 11, and they were doing it at 16. Well, actually, that's rubbish, because that means I haven't taught them anything. Yeah. They haven't learned anything if I think they need to be taught again. So I then started to redevelop my schemes of work and do stuff. And one of the best comments I got was, um, it was brilliant not to be treated like a baby and be, be, be asked to do the same thing 50 times or more. And that, but then they, they had enough trust in me to tell me that without me then But they obviously, them. they obviously felt comfortable enough to tell you those things and you yeah. were open to it. Yeah, but they have to trust you. They won't, you know, yeah. or they'll tell you what they think you want to hear. And they will do that in the first instance anyway. Yeah. So it, you can't just, it's not a one-off to me. For me, when I think about student voice, it makes me uh, remember a, a paper, actually an article I share with all my beginning teachers. Uh, it's called Developing uh, Enjoyment in Physical Education by Chen Li and other professors at Brock University. And it was just a recent article in our Peachy Canada Journal, peer-reviewed one. 
And it goes on to think about when we look at our new curriculum, actually in Ontario, the concept of enjoyment is mentioned 44 times as opposed to in our old curriculum, two to three times. And when I think about trying to create an environment where there is more student voice, we need to have more conversations, whether it's even at the end of a class, just having, being able to create spaces that students can share their voice. Uh, maybe it's a quick uh, chat with their neighbor on the way out as they're cooling down or running to the, going to the change room, whatever it might be, and share what was something that you enjoyed today in class, what yeah. was something that was most challenging or something that you improved on and you're proud of. And, you know, in the past, I think in phys ed, we've always been very much it's do, 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 and play, and it's very application-based. But when we go back to thinking about how kids are going to demonstrate what they know, they can also demonstrate that in a variety of ways. So we need to triangulate the data. We need to allow conversations, observations, and for product. And with conversations, that, to me, is going to create better connections for kids. They're going to walk away that sense of, hey... I do belong, I am being, it makes more accountability, uh, I'm being listened to, and that's going to create a, contribute to a more positive experience for kids. And at the end of the day, we know that kids who have a positive experience, um, that's going to have, that's a huge factor in whether or not they're going to continue to be healthy and active lifelong. Yeah. Um, so I, I really think about that, that piece there. Doug Gleddy, um, who we all know here, um, of course, Doug Gleddy talked about the difference between joy and fun. And uh, I think it's Scott Kretschmar, uh, Kretschmar article, uh, and he used the analogy of skateboarders and scooters, how these kids that have embraced those types of activities have found true joy and passion in it, as opposed to a fun tag game. So, yes, fun is important, but it's trying to, to find that intrinsic joy and physical mood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, what I really enjoyed most about um, teaching health and physical education is our subject really lends itself to connecting to kids on an emotional level um, because we deal with so much movement-based. Kids largely may not remember everything we're trying to teach them, and they may not remember these for a long time, but they're going to remember how we made them feel. And... To Ash's point and Carolyn's point with respect to, you know, having a safe environment where they can express what they truly want, and that would all levels, whether kids who want to own the playground or kids who want to own the podium, that they're all valued and respected within our programs. And really, that's not that hard to do. It's just a matter of talking to them and being open to feedback. Yeah. Um, I know Ash has to uh, head to the airport soon, so we're going we're gonna to wind down the podcast. Um, so I'm going to put you all in the hot seat. Okay. It's pretty hot in here already. It is hot in here. <laughs> and we have the background noises of the Philippines as well. Um, the, the greatest lesson your father or mother ever taught you and, and how this might be applicable to good teaching. Oh, yeah. Who wants to go first? For me, it would be be humble and kind. And uh, the Creator gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen, 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 and then ask, ask, ask. Good advice. Boy, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say uh, be caring and, and compassion. Um, those are some, when I think about the fundamentals in my teaching, what I learned from both my parents. Unfortunately, my mother passed away at the age of 46 of cancer. Um, but being compassionate towards others and um, 
being compassionate about life, um, about what we do and finding that passion and joy. And I'd say that's something that I really carry forward into my teaching as one of my cornerstones um, as a fundamental piece on teaching PE. Ash? Well, so many things. Um, I mean, my mum... My mum taught me a lot about, you know, follow follow your dreams, do what you want to do, um, invest in yourself, um, don't lose faith. You know, there is, there's always something you can do. You know, you're all, you are, there are things that you are good at um, and you just have to find those. Um, I mean, I was, I wasn't very good at school. Um, and I went through, and, and, and when I got the opportunity to, to, to study at master's level and then PhD level, my mum supported me all the way through it. She actually paid for my PhD. Thanks, mum. But she just told me that, you know, if you want to do something, you can do it. Uh, and I suppose it's, you know, I've kind of, and it's not come, this has come not directly from her, but as a consequence, I suppose. I don't believe that we're too busy to do anything, to not do anything. We just don't invest in, we can't, we don't or we can't invest enough time in it. You know, if somebody offered you a round the world ticket to leave tomorrow you'd, and you wanted to go, you'd find a way of going. But you'd invest that time and you'd sacrifice other things. And sometimes you can't make those sacrifices. Your kids need to be picked up or, you know, you have to be in a classroom at a certain time to teach and they deserve the best of what it is. But, you know, there is the opportunity. And some of us are limited, but I suppose my mum kind of instilled in me that, um, you know, do it. Do it in your time. You don't have to do it tomorrow. You can do it in a year, but just start doing it. and Don't, don't stop thinking that you can do it. So, yeah. I think for me, it was um, my father was a really quiet guy. And he didn't really say much. And he was an architect, and he would lock himself away in, in his drafting room, he called it, and do his designs way back with pencil and paper and, you know, he had his architecture desk. And I think I learned from him, although he never said it to me, I think I learned from him more so after he passed away is, is that he was a deep thinker and that he needed time to think. And I think sometimes respecting the introverts and, and giving a voice in to introverts in their own way and we can all as teachers know who the introverts are in our class and sometimes there is a pressure on them to feel as though they have to speak up and be this extrovert and jump around and they fear being that way and sometimes they're they're not as respected as they should be so to create a quiet space and a, and a voice for for those type of students so that's probably what i learned from my dad so everybody, thank you very much. Um, Ted's got great hands. We played football this week. We finally, I got the chance to throw the football to him. I threw the football to Ashley Casey as well, who's got very good rugby hands. Carolyn, we're going to throw the football later because I haven't seen how you can catch. Because <laughs> he hasn't broken your elbow Stay away from the fence, Carolyn. He hasn't broken yeah, your elbow Now the sad thing here is, is I met up with a wide receiver from, uh, former wide receiver from Guelph University in Canada. We threw the football yesterday. And we had that dreaded last pass, and he said, hit me on a corner. And I slightly overthrew him, and the fence was in the way, unfortunately. And he crashed through the fence and broke his elbow. So today, this podcast is dedicated to you for your grit and uh, relentless desire to always go for the ball. So everybody, thank you very much. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
Thanks for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassett. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.